it's fascinating to see, you know, if I'm not talking about the compounds themselves, there is a lot of different uh, types of filler that we're seeing um, in, in a lot of powders and pills and you name it. Did you guys see the Woodstock 99 yes. docker? Oh my yes. God. I watched that and Fire Festival and like, yeah, I got chills because <laughs> I was like, oh, this could be what happens if I don't do my job well. That documentary didn't dive into like what harm reduction measures were in place for the original 69 Woodstock. Right. And there were some rough things going on then mm. as well. But um, there was also, you know, um, the beginnings of psychedelic harm reduction. And uh, I think that was being um, maybe um, delivered by Hell's Angels. Um, oh but my God. yeah, like it, it really? just yeah, just a different time, a different <laughs> place. The death toll from overdose is exceeding the road toll. Like we we do need in harm reduction. Yeah. yeah, we do need it. I I just think that um, in Australia we have a lot of regulation about everything. Standing on stage or behind stage sometimes, and just looking out at the crowd, you sort of go. Right, the drug of choice this evening is not primarily alcohol. Um, and that's, you know, as a promoter, that's really scary. Um, especially when you're, especially for me, like when I hadn't had a lot to do with um, harm minimization, harm reduction, I was like, wow, this is terrifying. And we are live. Welcome to Mustard Flats for another episode. We got a uh, couple of guests in today who have been working on the Canberra pill testing site. And we caught up with Mitch uh, for a little doco on uh, a bit of behind the scenes of what goes on there. So it's going to be very cool to catch up with uh, Mitch and Steph today. Steph is also working there and... Um, a part of DanceWise down in Melbourne and up in Canberra for the launch of this studio, uh, this clinic. So great to have you guys in. Thank you so much for joining us. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's great. Thanks. Thank you. And we've got to thank our sponsors and supporters of the channel, Capital Brewing, for their uh, ongoing support. Thank you. So, guys, how's the uh, nearly a month in? How's, uh, how's it all going at the clinic? Pretty yeah, good? yeah, pretty, pretty good. Um, I'm still so excited every mm -hmm. time I go to work, um, which is a nice feeling. Uh, yeah, it's been smooth, pretty easy. Um, yeah, no, no hiccups so far. Touch wood. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Yeah, it's very cool to see. Um, and thank you again, Mitch, for showing us around the other day. My pleasure, my um, friend. Yeah, really interesting to get your insights, and we're. Uh, hopefully get a bit more out today and we've got a lot of questions coming in uh on the uh dms so if you are watching and want to know anything about the pill testing please let us know and uh there's a link in the comments there if you want to do it anonymously but uh first before we get too deep into that I'll, how did you guys kind of end up in the harm minimization area uh, what, what was the catalyst for that in a way. For me, it's music. Um, <clears throat> so I run a, a, a party crew along with a bunch of mates um, called Camera House Social. Um, but before that, I've been DJing around town uh, probably for the better part of 15 years now. Um, so I've been around drugs and, and stuff like that for ages. Um, and I, I never really thought about the harm reduction for the first <laughs> part of my 
my life. Um, it didn't even cross my mind. And it was only once started weird stuff sort of started happening where I'd, people were having adverse effects to stuff and we were partying that made me like go, um, I don't know enough about this stuff. Um, so that sort of started my journey of like self-discovery. So I was trying to educate myself, but, um, eventually I moved up to Sydney. I did a music degree. And while I was doing that, I was like, Canberra has, Canberra doesn't have anything, um, to support us. Cause like in New South Wales and Vic, there's, uh, dance wise and like seeing what dance wise did, I think at strawberry the first time. And then after that, at uh, subsonic, um, I was like, Oh my God, why is there not something like that in Canberra? Um, and then for me, I called karma my now work and was like, Hey, let's, let's do something like let's work together with the music industry and the harm reduction sort of space. And let's start working on that stuff. And that sort of led me down this weird path to here, uh, moved from Sydney back to Canberra and started working at Karma. But yeah, it's, it's been a long thing. Like it's a, I think it's probably everyone who does, um, harm reduction. There's a bit of your like personal life involved in it first. Mm. Like you don't just instantaneously go and work in, in drug reform. Um, well, I haven't, <laughs> <laughs> um, it was, yeah, it was, it was a long, long thing, but yeah, it's, it's, it's great to be here, um, and doing what we're doing, but. Yeah, it's, I think it's always a long journey for, for anyone that's involved. Um, and it might come from trauma. It might come from, you know, seeing a mate drop or something like that. And that sort of causes you to go, hang on, maybe we can be doing this stuff a bit better. Yeah, I, I can relate to Mitch's description that my introduction to harm reduction was kind of staggered as well. Um, started going to events and things in my mid-teens and, you know, you're just around alcohol and other drugs mm. and you just become aware of it. And harm reduction at first is just like common sense and like looking after your mates. Mm. And then you might realise that there's like a whole lot more to it and it's about social justice. Um, I studied law and was always passionate about social justice and it wasn't until I'd been working in like... Um, community services for nearly 10 years that um, I had like a intro into harm reduction uh, when I was traveling I was in New York and I had the opportunity to volunteer at a needle and syringe program and uh, yeah just the fact that it's a really cost-effective and um, human rights focused approach to drug policy made me think why don't we why don't we do that more regularly? And then you realise all the all the the politics and the discrimination involved. And uh, yeah, knowing that there is festival specific harm reduction is really interesting because you can apply all your life experiences from going to parties, um, and it really tailors the education and support that you can offer people. Mm. Yeah, I think like a common theme would be festivals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it it seems like that was. Uh, sort of the avenue where it first started this pill testing thing and you were involved with the trial at, in uh, Canberra at Groove in the Move, yeah. I think it was. Yeah. So that was kind of the first stage, those festivals in trialling this process. Yeah, it's like it's really weird to think that Canberra is like the bleeding edge of harm reduction in Australia because it's – I mean, obviously everyone everywhere is doing great work, but we're getting the nice things. Like I couldn't believe when that trial went up, I didn't think that was a thing. Um, mm. I remember 
because there was all these fights over the land, wasn't there? Like where where it could be done, if I remember correctly, it was yeah, like yeah, there was back and forth about a number of different things for mm, many years. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine because yeah, there was the whole crown land thing, um, where a bunch of festivals were interested, but it was like you can't do this because the government says no. Um, and I think that yeah, federally. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I don't know if it was yeah. that, but I just know that like it had to be moved to a private um, site so it could be run without sort of the interference. Um, and thank God it was. Um, and those trials went really well. Um, I remember what was the thing they found? The uh, N-ethylpentalone was yes. one of the high-risk substances that was detected. Yeah, not uh, good. <laughs> and I mean the, the year before that there was just um, really poor quality MDMA or mm. like uh, just a lot of – um, adulterants instead of what people thought they were having. Yeah, that was good. I remember like when the news stories came out, it was like, it was literally toxic substances. And I was like, oh my God, like if we didn't have that testing site, there's no telling what might've happened to those people, but it wouldn't have been enjoyable at the very least. Um, mm -hmm. and it was potentially toxic. Um, it was just so good. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I mean, there was an opportunity to educate people and just get them to be monitored if they had, mm. like, among their friendship group already sampled what mm. was then tested. Yeah, that's great. God, I'm jealous. I wish I was working at that. <laughs> I was a punter, though, that year. <laughs> I didn't visit because the line was so long, if I'm being completely yeah, honest. No, yeah, fair enough. And many people waited more than an hour to to get testing done. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's... You know, something that's something to to be aware of. Um, mm. Yeah, there is the demand when people have the opportunity. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And you've been sort of, Steph, campaigning for this type of thing for many years. You've been through the trials uh, in, I think it was 2019, the last one. So it's a long process to get here. Has it been sort of frustrating to... Uh, for you to have to go through all that and well, the politics of it? Look, you know, I, I jumped on the, the train decades after other advocates were, were doing this work. I mean, harm reduction and um, health rights advocacy has really um, been going strong since the 1980s. Um, in terms of drug checking advocacy, um, there's been staunch advocates in Australia for about 25 years, including Dr. David Caldercott, who's a medical consultant of the the pilot um, here in Canberra. Um, but yeah, it was about 2014 when I started doing some advocacy work about drug checking services and 2016 when uh, I joined the pill testing Australia consortium. And there was about three nearly got it off the ground, but at 11 p.m. the day before something happened, like the permit being pulled because it was on Crown land, et cetera, mm. et cetera. So, yeah. But, I mean, you kind of, yeah, like it can be frustrating, but that's part and parcel of advocating for something that um, only gets accepted in an incremental way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like... Um it seems like something's sort of broken recently, like mm. and like on the national front as well. Because like I read the other day, like there was MPs in Queensland pushing for drug checking at festival sites. I didn't think that would be a, a thing. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I wasn't suspecting that Queensland would be 
sort of asking for this stuff and it's great to see it's happening. They've got some great advocates there mm. and, um, you know, they've got the, the consciousness that does harm reduction at festivals and they have um, advocates with The Loop Australia. Um, so, yeah, like I think that I noticed a shift after around 2016 there was the there was a like a UN meeting um, which really kind of shifted the focus of international drug policy um, to just make sure that health uh, came mm. right into focus and so you know 10 years ago it was just totally normal to blame people who use drugs for you know any of the negative health impacts they experience despite the fact that there's like social determinants to health that it go far beyond um, just an individual's use um and then yeah it just kind of has shifted and it's no longer acceptable to not give a shit about someone's health (laughs) seems pretty pretty normal that that should be accepted as you know the the basis but yeah (laughs) i suppose things these things take time huh and you uh went overseas and have partaken in a lot of these uh things around the US and Canada and other places which have been doing this for so long. How was that experience and what have you learned from that and to bring back to what we're doing here in Canberra? Yeah, so I've I've had some great opportunities to volunteer with organisations like Cosmic Care Association in um, Portugal who do the harm reduction services at Boom Festival and they've had decriminalisation as their drug policy for over 20 years now and I found uh, the EU approach, there was like an element of, like, or at least in Portugal, it was um, quite relaxed uh, like and natural that you would be prioritizing someone's health, and then the experiences I had um, working with anchors, volunteering with anchors at Shambhala Festival in BC. Um, like again, they're taking that pragmatic approach, but there is a opioid crisis in North America, and you can really feel the sense of urgency because they were putting up you know, pop-up drug checking services and pop-up consumption spaces anywhere where it was needed. Um, mm. So, yeah. That's it, interesting, yeah. Yeah, I mean, all around the world, people are kind of united by similar values of health rights and human rights, and then you just have to come up with local um, innovative ways to get get initiatives across policy lines. Mm. Yeah, do you think it's kind of like the demand... In the, in, if that's the case, is just not here in a, or hasn't been here from the people to want this service, do you think? Or kind of like how it doesn't seem like weed legalisation is a forefront issue that everyone's always uh, trying to get to have happen and so it just kind of hasn't happened. But And it's sort of similar maybe to the drug testing where we're not having those like that scale of epidemic that they're having over there so it's leading to less people wanting it? I mean, the death toll from overdose is exceeding the road toll. Like, we we do need harm reduction. Yeah, Yeah, we do need it. I I just think that um, in Australia we have a lot of regulation about everything, including, like, we have very high work health and safety standards in Australia, which is great, but sometimes that can mean that we might have a tendency to over-regulate or be risk-adverse when it comes to, like, you know, 
introducing something that might seem like a novel policy response, like Portugal was desperate and they introduced decriminalisation. Mm. Canada was desperate and they introduced like drug checking services and other initiatives. Like here in Australia, it's a smaller population and yeah, we regulate everything and take a really long time to implement something new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, maybe the 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 urgency factor plays in a little bit, but yeah, it's and we've you know we've we've got a conservative political landscape for the most part. Um, maybe that's changing now, but um, traditionally speaking, it's it's been quite conservative on the drug policy front. Um, it's nice to see it slowly moving, um, but yeah, it's nowhere. We've got a lot of catching up to do to some other places around the world, unfortunately. Um, but it's moving. It's moving. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess maybe with what you're doing with Canberra House Social, you're seeing it more firsthand with the events you're running than the average person might be. What have you noticed during sort of your time promoting those sort of events, raves and and dance music festivals? I think I've, uh, you know, our crew has been really fortunate in the sense that we haven't had any uh, serious incidents at our events, but that doesn't mean that we're not observing... um, you know, a lot of drug use. Um, and, you know, that's, I think that's to be expected in dance music culture. Um, I think d- drugs are pretty much tied part and parcel to the culture of dance music. Um, but yeah, you know, sort of standing on stage or behind stage sometimes and just looking out at the crowd, you sort of go, right, the drug of choice this evening is not primarily alcohol. Um, and that's, you know, as a promoter, that's really scary. Um, especially when you're, especially for me, like when I hadn't had a lot to do with um, harm minimization, harm reduction, I was like, wow, this is terrifying. Um, And, you know, I like to think that we're a responsible host and we want to look after people's well-being. Um, And we put in measures even right from the start where we're like, all right, we need electrolytes, like water isn't good enough. Let's look at our first aid kit. Does that actually have the stuff we require if something happens with uh, an overdose or some complications from polydrug use? And we didn't. Um, And there was no one telling us what to do. So we just had to start looking ourselves. Um, And, you know, I've had, I can recall several times where I, looking back with the knowledge that I have now, I went, oh my God, that was serotonin syndrome. I was not in a good way at all. But at the time I had no concept of, of how bad it was. Um, or I had really close calls with with people at parties, um, you know, and me not knowing what I know now. Um, I look back on those incidents and like shiver because I was like, that was a run in with death almost. And I wouldn't have known what to do if, um, if someone did drop. Um, I remember um, this really cool crew from Melbourne called Cool Room. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, they're great. Um, they came and did, uh, did a seminar and it was targeted at promoters like us um, and they did Harm Reduction 101. It was like running through the substances and the basic care that you could sort of take to look after people mm-hmm. and that was like that like exploded my brain. I was like, oh, my God, I'm not doing enough um, at my own events. And then further to that, like, when I was going to other events, I was like, why is there not free water here? Um, and I started noticing these things. I was like, mm-hmm. why is a, a bottle of water $7? And, you know, and that's RSA stuff, right? You'd think it would be totally normal to do. Um, and then on the other 
side of things, like I've gone to a lot of raves that are just completely illegal and are done pretty pretty irresponsibly. And at those ones, that's where it becomes really apparent that it's dangerous because it's BYO everything. Mm-hmm. You're out in the sticks, especially in here in Canberra. It's like when we have dwarfs or raves, we can go, you know, half an hour out of the city and you're just in straight bush. Um, and those ones, you know, I've gone to a bunch of parties where it was like half an hour walk into site. There's no one sober there, you know, and it just, once it was in my brain, I couldn't get it out. Um, and like, I don't know if you have this when you go to parties now, but like, I just really noticed the basic care. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in Sydney as well, it was really apparent that it was hard for people to do those things um, because there was this sort of pervasive culture in Sydney across like security guards and obviously what politicians were saying that, you know, and heavy police presence that like it was very stigmatised. So you didn't want to advertise at your event that like here's electrolytes, you know, you need to replace blah or we've got naloxone here. I think it was a bit of a fear that that would put a target on your back. Um, It is. It can be a double-edged sword mm. where if you're preparing for certain events that may occur, like someone using alcohol or other drugs and needing some kind of health intervention, that can be used against you possibly to, you know, push the the user pays policing fees up, um, saying that you're promoting drug use. And essentially drug use is just happening everywhere. It's happening where people are home alone as well. Mm. Um, Drug use is prevalent um, all throughout Australia. But when it's happening in an event, when it's happening in a crowd, when it's happening in an isolated area, you just have to factor in um, different kind of um, risk mitigation strategies and you need to be able to talk about it um, and plan for it without, yeah, being persecuted. That's it. And, you know, we I remember when we went, so for CHS and we went through the process of, of getting insurance and, um, and, you know, you really sort of bring ourselves up to this standard where we can actually look after the people at our events. I remember going through that whole process and one of the questions was like, is there, will there be drugs taken at this event? And I was like, oh, how am I supposed to answer that? Um, and, you know, and that was in the questionnaire for our insurance and it's that was terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they didn't ask what uh, harm reduction steps have you taken if people are taking drugs. It was do people drug, use drugs at your event, which was a really bizarre thing to ask and scared the crap out of me, to be honest. Um, and it just goes to show, like, insurers, uh, venues, they're all looking at this stuff. They do notice. Um, and if you're being proactive and really communicating to your audience, yeah, it is a, it is a double-edged sword, like you said, um, where you can get yourself in trouble. Um, or, you know, you might not get that venue. You might not get that space. You might not be able to insure yourself. Um that's the thing about insuring your events. You've got to be honest with your insurer. Otherwise, when it comes to claim time, it could be a big problem. Mm-hmm. So it's complicated. Um, and I, I find with events, the one thing that is predictable is the unpredictability. Mm-hmm. You might be able to reasonably say someone will be using alcohol or other drugs in my event, especially if you've got a liquor license and you're actually serving alcohol. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have any sense of what substance is being used. There, you know, drug trends uh, change. They um, change over time and then the drug market changes quite quickly. Like after... And if substances are being sold as things that are different from what they actually are, um, a person might think they're taking a stimulant and then end up dropping on the dance floor if it's like 
actually a depressant drug. So yeah, it, it's a little bit difficult to be able to predict like what exact individual behaviors are going to be occurring at your festival. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's tricky. It's very tricky. Off, off topic a off topic a little bit. Did you guys see the Woodstock '99 yes. docker? Oh my yes. god! With the, when you mentioned water just before, that made me think of that. How they were taking people's water bottles, and look what happened. Mm. Oh my god! Can I just say, I I really remember that event when it was happening because there was some like live streams. Uh, yeah, and it was. <laughs> That to me kind of um, shows like how important it is to like have values and put out comms with like what are the expectations of our patrons beforehand because you can't really force a person to drink water but you can put provisions in there Mm. but you can kind of shape a person's attitude like as they're deciding to go to your event and like shape the attitude of your patrons by like you know providing them with shade and comfort and things like that like curating their experience and making it easier for people to prioritise their self-care. Yeah. I think, first of all, that was a disaster, that festival. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so and what what not to do rule book or <laughs> events? I watched that and Fire Festival and, like, yeah, I got chills because <laughs> I was like, oh, this could be what happens if I don't do my job well. Um, but, yeah, and, you know, it just shows disregard for the people that go. Um, you know, it's it's, you know, profit over people really um and that's really you know it shouldn't be what events are about like a good event planner would be considering how all of this stuff impacts the people that are going and you know like steph said like canberra house social takes a special care to to sort of curate the people that come to our event and you do that by putting your comms out and you know, we've created a culture at our own events where mm-hmm. we haven't had an incident and it's because the people that come know what's expected of them, what we'll give them. Um, and, yeah, you just you, <laughs> you watch events like that and it's just like we're going to slap all of these disparate bands together in this massive place and there was, like, no infrastructure. There was nothing to make people comfy. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. <laughs> Although with that said, like it didn't, that documentary didn't dive into like what harm reduction measures were in place for the original 69 Woodstock. Right. And there were some rough things going on then mm. as well. But um, there was also, you know, um, the beginnings of psychedelic harm reduction. And um, I think that was being um, maybe um, delivered by Hell's Angels. Um, oh but my God. yeah, like it, it really? just, yeah, just a different time, a different <laughs> place. But um, yeah. Leading the way. Yeah, yeah. Did stuff actually catch on fire? I missed that part of the doco. Like, was stuff on fire? Yeah, it did. I am amazed that more people weren't injured. Seriously. I know. I was thinking the same thing. I was waiting for that statistic to come, like, at the end. But it was kind of like it didn't happen. And Uh, I don't know how. Yeah. It's funny, like, you know, think about, like, Astro World, that Travis Scott incident. It's like... Do people in front of microphones don't not like? Do you not realize that the power that you have? Like, I don't actually know the incident you're referring to. What really, happened? what went down? Well, there was. I'll, I'll paraphrase here because I don't know all of the all of the stuff. But Travis Scott was at a concert uh, called Astro World, which was his brand, so it was essentially his concert. Um, and when he uh, jumped on stage, he said some stuff, and like, 
you could be interpreted as mm-hmm. inciting a riot, I think. Mm. Anyhow, there was a crowd crush and unfortunately a bunch of people died. Um, and, yeah, it's awful. It's a disaster. Um, but, yeah, it was just sort of like, do you not realise when you're in front of a mic and there's a lot of people there, you've got to, like, put that harm reduction message out? Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, look after everyone in the crowd. If someone drops, we're going to stop playing the music until they come back up again and they're look, looked after. And it just was not done in that case. Um that's a really good point, and that's something I would love to advocate to the musicians out there that, um, you know, it means so much to members of the crowd as well when you just say, hey, stop for a minute, have you got water, take a sip, or, like, you know, promoting, hey, this harm reduction service is on site, there's the first aid tent. They they can, like, yeah, curate that, like, mm. health-focused experience as well. And the, the crowd really care because they, they, you know, they are there to see the artists. It's kind of like, you know, if you're doing harm reduction services at a festival, you do have great experiences with the crowd, but you're kind of like that person being like, hey, have you heard a sip of water? And it's kind of <laughs> like your mum coming along being yeah. like, should you be doing that? But when it's like the, the artist that you idolise saying, mm. you know, hey, stop and care about yourself and care about the people around you, it can have a great, like, it can shift the the mentality, of, it can shift the vibe. Totally. And, like, I think to a lot of artists' credit, I do see that a lot, you know, awesome. like if there's a crush and a mosh, like it might be the heaviest band that you can think of and they still sort of say, just stop. Like, we're going to stop the music. I will not play until mm-hmm. those people get up. And, you know, it shows that they care. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's the thing. You recognise the power you have. Like, you're in front of a microphone. There might be tens of thousands of people there. You just saying, hey, stop for a second or giving people the heads up, like, go and drink some water, um, you know, look after the women in the crowd, which is something that, you know, I think yeah. has been really good to hear recently. Gigs I've gone to is like, you know, we're all here to look after each other, which is, you know, obviously that strikes at my heart because that's what I want people to do. Um, but it's nice to see when that's sort of brought up by these artists, everyone immediately sort of goes into this mode of caring for the people around them. Um, and, yeah, it's like setting a culture. And, you know, one artist does that. And then for the rest of the day, those people might be thinking, oh, like someone's fallen over, I should help them up. Um yeah, some harm reduction messages are easier to to mm. like say, like you know, because everyone would agree, like, hey, chill out for a moment. People are getting crushed. Have some water, because everyone needs water, no matter what they're doing. You know, looking out for each other if there's any incidents relating to gender based violence. Um, you know, taking a break. All those like important messages and general harm reduction messages. But when it comes to talking specifically about drug-related harm reduction messages, then you're yeah dealing with that double-edged sword again where you don't want to be, you know, outing that you can clearly see in the crowd like some dilated pupils or whatever. Yeah, that's it. Like especially places where there's cops inside the event, you don't want to yeah. be like, look at all these munted people um, right over here. Do you know what I mean? And that's, you know... I'll save my comments about cops inside music festivals for another day, but, you know, it's not not a great environment to have. And, like, yeah, you know, I can't imagine an artist getting up and being like, here's the things you should do if you're on Molly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I would love if they did, but I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's good that we can 
you know, especially with dance wise, like my experience with that was so organic and normal. Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't, you know, it wasn't like, Hey, come over here. Are you being safe? It was that, um, the trips hit chart, like, cause I, I was tripping and I was like, Oh my God, what is this gigantic banner? Um, and there was such a low, like a really organic way to engage people because no one came up and hassled me after I'd been standing there for like five minutes. They're like, do you need any help? I was like, yes, I do. Um, and that felt really natural to me. Um, mm -hmm. And then later, I think when it, I was at Strawberry, um, I didn't use it, but a friend of mine had used the, the sort of chill out space out the back because they were having a bad time. Um, I just felt so natural as well. So mm -hmm. it was just like, oh, I don't know if you need to see an ambulance or not. And I was kind of leaning on the, the side of yes. Um, but, you know, we, we were heading that way and then we walked past the tent. And we were like, oh, okay, we'll talk to these guys. And, you know, it stopped us from having to leave the festival because it was only day one. Um, it was so good. Um, and once this person had calmed down, had some water, stopped being overloaded by stimulus, they yeah. were feeling a lot better um, and we returned to the party. And that just felt right. Like it, that's, I think that's the thing. It's like I wish that part was more readily accessible everywhere because it's just it's just natural. Um, and I think once people recognised that, you know, like two days in, it was like, oh, I can go here. Like word started spreading around. Um, and it only takes that happening more often for people to sort of expect it. Um, and that's like I was saying before, I want that here. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, one of the cool things about services like um, DanceWise and Consciousness is that you can have those really specific drug education conversations, but it is a holistic service and it's there for anyone that's feeling overwhelmed or if you, you know, kind of dehydrated, need some electrolytes and, um, you know, a, a trend that, you know, we're all dealing with, COVID still mm. and um, for many people it's really overwhelming being in crowds again sure. um, and yeah you can you can get some emotional support um, as well yeah yeah I think that's especially for people that might be on um, psychedelics sometimes it's just that it's just that emotional support that they might need um, I think you know doing psychedelics at parties and festivals can be a bit full-on sometimes mm -hmm. it's so nice you know it's it's so nice to have someone that's just willing to offer to do that for someone else. Um, you know, there's, I've been at parties where people will do that off their own back themselves, but you can't rely on that, obviously. So having services that can provide that intervention step between hospitalisation um, is so good. Um, and obviously it breaks down that you know, there's still people I know that are afraid of going to talk to the Ambos because okay. they think, one, they're going to get kicked out of the festival and, two, maybe they'll be judged for using drugs. Um, so it's nice to have that intervention step now. Um, obviously not everywhere, but, you know, it's New South Wales and Victoria run a lot of festivals. So it does make sense um, that it's in those places first. But I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, one of the fundamental values to, to harm reduction is non-judgmentalism. Mm. So, and and uh, something else is different when it comes to harm reduction services compared to a step up if you go into the first aid and medical tent mm. is that you're not actually receiving treatment. You're just essentially being 
like provided with the space to to do what you need to do to prioritize your own self-care mm. it's um you know you're not going there to get any kind of treatment it's not a counseling service um it, it's essentially just a space where you can be empowered to care for yourself that's great need more of them <laughs> and let's talk about the canberra facility a bit how has the first month gone and what are your first impressions, your, your vibe from the place, that the um, experience that people are having? What's your uh, first month's reaction? Yeah, yeah, really good vibes. Um, I don't know. Like I said earlier, I love going to work there. Like I actually, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> how many people can say that? It's like, yeah, I'm stoked to go into work. Um, it's I- really cool as well. It's cool to see. Like, I mean, yeah. even if... Uh, even if you were going in to just check out the service mm. and learn more, um, I think you can still get something out of it, even if you didn't have a sample to go get checked out. Totally. Uh, the, the equipment is really cool. Mm. Um, and it's different from the festival. The festival, there was a lot, yeah, like you were saying before, Mitch, there was a queue. Um, they still did an awesome job getting uh, lots of people through the service, but it's a little bit more chill at the fixed site. And so you have a bit more time and there's like – an even fancier machine now. It's so fancy. No, and like the other thing I've been loving is like we're a, a multidiscipline team. So we're from, you know, obviously the sort of right places, but, you know, it's Pill Testing Australia, Karma, which does uh, harm reduction and advocacy, uh, Harm Reduction Australia, and then Directions. So it's like this big group of people that work together a lot, but the team that we've sort of put together now is, is so nice. Um, and I forgot to mention ANU chemists. Um, but it's just, yeah, everyone's got the same goal. They just want to help people look after their own health. Um, so, yeah, it's, we're getting along really well. I think like the – it's, you know, I think a lot of people might have ideas of, of what's going on in the, in the drug market. Um, and I think, it, you know, I think we'll find at the end of this that we're probably getting the, the – you know, data that's really reflective of what's going on. Um, and, you know, it's, it's too soon to say, obviously, but it, mm-hmm. it, it goes to show, like, it's hard to do these studies where you figure out what's actually happening in the market. Um, and I think being here now, we'll, we'll get that data. Um, and that's obviously going to help inform the ANU and the surface itself as to how better to help people. Like, we have, you know, meetings and we just discuss how to make the service better. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, there's a lot of drive to to sort of help people with um, anything that sort of might crop up. So, you know, there's a nurse there at the service. Um, so doing that sort of opportunistic healthcare um, where we can sort of help people with other issues as they come up. So, and it's all free as well. So yeah, like STI checks, you could um, get a blood test done, check mm. for hepatitis C, um, you know, minor wound care um it's yeah it's quite comprehensive yeah so it's been it's been nice and like you know everyone that comes through um you know i'd like to say really interested i think that's the thing that i've noticed a lot is it's i mean we find it so cool we're drug drug nerds but um (laughs) i think it is interesting to stand there and look at the the graphs and the machines running and have the chemical analysts tell you exactly what's going on because that's novel people don't get that you know even if you were doing uh reagent testing and stuff like that it's never going to give you the amount of information that we can get from the two machines that we have um and then 
you know, I think, yeah, it, it might awaken some stuff in people where they get really interested in the topic. Mm-hmm. Um, like I've certainly noticed a lot of people sort of talking about harm reduction more since the surface has gotten up and running. Um, and that's what we want. Um, I'd love for it to get to the point where people are planning to go and check their stuff as part of their plan to go out to a festival. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's... Or plan to use in any context. Totally, totally. But like, you know, forming that sort of plan to, all right, I can go here at that time and I can get my stuff checked and then I'll know for the weekend or whenever it is they use. Um, I can't wait for it to sort of reach that saturation point where it just becomes, like, I hope we're too busy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's a really cool... uh, like point of contact that we have with people who use drugs as well Um, because, you know, the majority of people who use drugs don't uh, necessarily need any kind of health intervention at all um, throughout their life Um, or they only need some kind of intervention when something goes really wrong, like, you know, there's an overdose, there's some kind of drug-related harm, they need to go to hospital or, um, you know, they're getting to a point where they they might need some kind of treatment or support and it's usually people usually wait about five years or more to access any kind of treatment um, after they first you know start contemplating it so we have the opportunity to influence um, someone's uh, drug taking career if you will (laughs) Um, and and not we're not like promoting abstinence we're essentially just encouraging people to um, minimize the risk of harm so so you can get those kind of hacks and tips early on to avoid, you know, what could be lifelong harm. Totally. I wish I, yeah, I wish I had that when I was 18 because I can, I would just think back to things that happened and I was like, damn, I wish I knew. Um, but yeah, it's obviously, it's awesome to be able to put that in place. It's, it's incredible. And what's the, um, what's the uh, mood of the people coming in? What, what sort of numbers are you getting at this stage, by the way, like? It's open two nights a week. Uh, um, I don't know if we can share actual numbers, yeah. um, but look, uh, we're open for three hours. There's usually a team of between four to five people, correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong. We're run off our feet most services. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm sure there'll be ebbs and flows, but yeah. like I would hazard a guess that I'd say we've been pretty busy. Um, and, you know, considering it was not a huge, huge launch, um, you know, it's it's really encouraging to see that the message is filtering out to the community, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing about word of mouth. It will spread slowly, but it is getting out there, I feel. Um, and, you know, it's – I love being busy there. Like, you know, I love seeing more people come come through the door. Um, but, yeah, it's I – hope, I hope it picks up. I hope we can do more days. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all dependent. You know, we've obviously got to finish this six-month trial. Um, well, not trial, but – finish this six month period and then see where the service goes from there. Um, be really exciting. And there's obviously the evaluation that the ANU is doing too. Um, and they'll have some suggestions and, you know, we'll learn a little bit more about what people want from the service from that, which I think is really important to ask the community what they want. Um, and like how we can improve it. Um, yeah, because it's, it's only open three hours on a Thursday morning, 10 a.m. to, to 1 p.m., and three hours on a Friday night. Um, what is it, 6 till 9? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and so, like, the two main um, tests, like, take different amounts of time. So, I mean, if we started to get more people, we, we might do things like um, 
prioritize um, who go gets what test what tested how. Like the first machine um, can produce results within a few minutes, and then the 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 step up can take you know at least 10 minutes up to 30 minutes so yeah we would we'd have contingencies on how we could streamline the service delivery if we needed to speed things up but at this at at the moment you know we're consistently doing stuff and able to take more time with people and offer them additional tests or like um offer them you know um referrals and yeah have those kind of educational conversations as well yeah like I've been taking the opportunity to hand out naloxone as much as possible, yes. but I might slow up now because there will be a shortage um, across the world soon, unfortunately, which really sucks because um, naloxone is a opioid overdose reversal agent. So if you're overdosing on opioids, there's a really simple fix now that doesn't involve any needles um, and can be applied by anyone. Um, and like the training that you give for that, a brief intervention can be you know really short and sharp, which means you can... Use like, you know, I've been using downtime while we're waiting for one test to sort of say, hey, do you know what naloxone is? Because mm -hmm. thankfully, you know, numbers here from opioid overdose are not as bad in, as in some other countries, but it is something that we're concerned about. Mm -hmm. um, so being able to put naloxone out into the community as much as possible is a great thing to do. Um, you know, it doesn't take long um, and it's one of those things you can just shove in your in your cupboard and mm -hmm. just hope that you never have to pick it out. Um, but, you know, it's there if you need to, which is really nice. Um, yeah, and I mean, it can be a addition to anyone's first aid kit. Um, you know, the majority of fatal opioid overdoses are actually from prescription opioids and the opioid overdose rate is on the increase and has been for the last decade or so. So it's something to, to be aware of. Yeah, it's, yeah, you know, I like when we run our events, I'll usually take quite a few units along and just hand them out because I just want it to proliferate um and it's nice to see i think that message is starting to spread really well um which is good it is such an easy thing to have in your party kit um you know it'd be great if we could get more out into the community honestly um but yeah obviously i hope no one has to use it but these are the things yeah and without going into specifics are you getting a lot of um interesting things coming up and people returning or destroying or deciding that's not what it was is that uh, happening a lot i think again like we're we're not we can't share specifics i think that's there's a process we have to follow with this stuff but i will say that i've been very interested um and i think broadly speaking you know um we have seen some like novel psychoactive substances which have been probably more on the surprising end or at least for me um you know, and I think maybe you could say broadly we've seen um, stuff that would be consistent with what you'd see at a music festival. Um, but, you know, it's – I'm always surprised by what we get, honestly, um, just because, you know, we get stats from um, organisations that, you know, look at the sewage or run studies um, and ask drug users what do they use. But it's a different thing entirely to actually seeing what's produced. Um, and I think – I've said this before, but, you know, it's fascinating to see, you know, if I'm not talking about the compounds themselves, there is a lot of different uh, types of filler that we're seeing um, in, in a lot of powders and pills and you name it. Um, and that's always super interesting because, 
obviously there's a bit of like folklore around, you know, how many times have you heard someone say, oh, there's rat poison in pills? Do you know what I mean? Or, or something of that ilk, um, and you know. Or like, this is the really good Coke you can tell because <laughs> it makes you really numb and then it's like, mm, or is it spiked with lidocaine? Yeah. Who knows? Mm. Yeah, I think like... No, we're so far removed from the production source of uh, um, cocaine specifically that, you know, it's, I think it's really fraught, that one. Um, it's very interesting getting samples and sort of looking at that stuff. Um, one of the machines that we have at the site is called a UPLC and it can do purity tests. Um, and that's quite revealing sometimes. Um, it can be, you know, for the person coming in, they might have an idea of maybe they've used it before and they're like, oh, okay. I think it's this strong um, based on my own personal body and experience. And then <laughs> we run the test and it might say, you know, we try and break it down into three distinct groups. So low, medium and high purity. So we're not giving a number to stuff. Um, you know, that it's, I think that can be really surprising to people sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it, on a, on a personal level, like if that was me, I would be looking at that and going, right, maybe I need to adjust the dose that I was looking at taking. Um, so it's a helpful thing to have for people. Um, but you know, I'm sure, I'm sure this is, this is the thing about this site. It's, there's going to be unexpected stuff that comes up for people and that can be really confronting. Um, but I dare say that will be a theme forever. You, there'll be times where people are going, I think it's X or Y. And it's not at all. Mm -hmm. it, it's it's actually Z. Um, or they might think, oh, this powder or pill or whatever I've got is really potent. And we might run a test and go, actually, it's not. And that might lead to like conversations like, what else is going on with you? Mm -hmm. That or was it something else that you took that potentially didn't interact well or made you feel like that was really potent? Um, and and that will be that will always be the case when you're dealing with an unregulated market. Mm -hmm. That's it. It's like, you know, there is no control over this stuff. The only control that we can put in place is, is letting people know what the stuff is, um, which is obviously really good and will have flow-on effects, but mm. it's hard to say how. And, and like the drug checking services, um, one thing, but there are a number of um, like systems that are being developed across Australia to release information like drug alerts. Um, there's quite mm. well-established systems in New South Wales, I think WA and Victoria. Yep. But all of this is part of uh, like systems that are being built up to triangulate any kind of drug-related data that is available and, yeah, produce warnings that could be given to health professionals so they're aware of trends or in the general public if there's something especially dangerous. So all of this is, yeah, slowly building up and I hope it continues. Yeah, same. Yeah. I remember, have you seen those? Uh, when I was in Amsterdam last, I saw DIMS had uh, billboards up. So, oh, yeah. you know, the, uh, like the LCD ones or whatever they are. And it was like, look out for this particular batch of pill. And I was like, oh my God, you can do that here. Um, you know, I'd mm -hmm. love to get to that point where we can start saying public alert messages, you know, on, imagine having a billboard out in civic somewhere that just said, watch out for this. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing about the dim system is that they're, 
like they've been operating for 30 years and there's about 30 different drug checking sites across the Netherlands and then they they're feeding into the the wider EU system mm. and so you know the the more data you have the the more like the more you're able to um, triangulate that information and yeah just monitor what's going on across the market so as great as it is to have like one-off pilots um, you just really need to invest in more like get that coverage and get that um, longitudinal data as well mm. have you seen um what's it, is it know your stuff in nz mm-hmm. their drug checking queue i checked their website the other day and they have like a pill library um have you seen that I, i've checked out some of their stuff That's yeah so cool um so they'll have like a uh, their technicians when they're testing the drugs they'll often take a photo and they'll take it on this little sheet of paper and they add it to their library. And, you know, there's stuff that makes it into the library that uh, I won't say safe, but is is not unexpected. And then there's stuff in their library that's like, um, yeah, that's it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like this one. This is the most recent one I saw. Look at that, 180 milligrams of MDMA. I remember when they posted that on their Instagram, they were like, this, is, this one makes our naughty list because it had more than what one dose of MDMA would usually be. Um, but it's like it's stuff like this. This takes me back to you know the forums and and you know Blue all the lies. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like that was people have been doing this stuff forever um, on the DIY front. Um, but obviously it's it's great because these guys are able to do the testing and tell you why it's in the in the thing instead of relying on like anecdotal reporting, which honestly is is also super cool that mm-hmm. people were doing that and going here's what I found and, you know, that was one of my first experiences with harm reduction was looking at those forums and going, oh, my God, like people are sharing their experiences. People would write down like, um, you know, they'd write a journal of Mm -hmm. while they were high, they were writing what the effects they were feeling, you know, uh, the strength um, as it felt to them and all this sort of stuff. And that was like revolutionary for me. I was like, wow, you can do that. Um, You know, I used that information um, myself, which, you know, was a bit fraught, like you don't know who these people are, but for the most part, it was all done in good spirit and good faith. Um, and it was all done to sort of look after people, but mm-hmm. it's like, why not have scientific precision as well? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's what, when I saw that, I was like, that's so cool. It's like blue light, except with FTIR, um, or UPLC, which is, you know, the machines that we use. But yeah, it's phenomenal. It actually leads quite nicely into one of the questions we got, which was, um, will they, as in the Canberra testing site, post results of sort of bad batches going around and potentially advising people not to take them? Or, but it sounds like yeah, not yet. Well... So the the system that Steph was referring to, the drug alert system, has been up and running. It usually goes through the health departments of the of the states of where it's active. Um, Canberra's a bit different, um, and we haven't had. Um, I'm happy to be wrong here, but I'm going out on a limb and saying I don't think we've had any drug alerts being uh, sent out through ATT Health itself. Um, and I think now we've. I don't, I don't know the specifics of this, but I believe there's an agreement um, that's been made so that we can share really, you know, if we were to come across something really toxic, it is going to be communicated um, well, from I mean, the clinic. 
from CanTest, all the information goes to ACT Health. Yes. And then, yeah. And yes. Then so it's really up to them. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's that is sort of one of the foundational things um, about the services. We're sharing our data with ACT Health so they can call the shots. Um, but my understanding is like, yeah, we will, alerts will get out to people. Um, and it's really up to ACT Health to sort of decide what uh, triggers that. But, you know, I think we can sort of confidently say that will be happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you, like, follow the New South Wales health alerts as well and mm-hmm. the Victorian, like, follow all the different state and territory Department of Health drug alerts because, uh, you know, if a trend is happening in one part of Australia, it might be happening in Canberra as well. Totally, so, yeah. yeah. And, like, there's – DanceWise does this really well. I love – like, DanceWise, obviously, consciousness – high grounds there's all these really like instagram's the place to go there's so many and like i follow people from across the world um but they're really good at sharing this info so that you don't have to because that's the thing like the new south wales drug alerts the vic drug alerts they're a website um and you know unless you're diligent you're not checking that Mm -hmm. and steph and i are probably lucky enough to get emails in our inboxes through work that say oh my god there's a thing but um you know regular punter Joe is not going to have access to that. So like following DanceWise, High Ground, Consciousness or, mm-hmm. you know, a bunch of different orgs like that, they'll put it in their story. So you'll just be cruising Instagram and you'll get the alert and you don't have to do the digging. Um, yeah. I would suggest that. Um, and, you know, hopefully once our system is up and running and alerts are coming out, you know, we'll start sharing that stuff um, as well, um, which would be really good. Um, and it's definitely worth keeping an eye out for. Because it's, you know, if there is an alert out, there's usually a pretty good reason that they've done that. The, you know, it's not mm-hmm. a low bar to put these things out. Um, yeah, they definitely Instagram, I agree. There's mm. a lot of great stuff out there. So that's the DanceWise Vic, DanceWise New South Wales. You said High Grounds yep. already. Yep. Um, Consciousness. Consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. yeah give them all a follow. Room. You mentioned them earlier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Cool Room's great. Yeah, there's like, once you start digging into it, You'll get a lot of stuff. Um, like once you start following these things, you might get the algorithm feeding you stuff. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's that's a really simple sort of low effort way to get this information. Like just watching their stories, they feed great information out. Um, and, and like um, supplement the information that's released by the health department with like tailored harm reduction tips um, which can include things like, you know, use this type of reagent if you do at-home reagent drug checking mm. um, because different types of reagents can be used to, like, seek out the presence of different kinds of substances and you can buy those kits online from um, a number of different organisations like mm. Dance Safe and, yeah, there's yeah. ones in Australia too. Yeah, totally. I think um, as well, like, the drug alert, system that they had over in New Zealand like when they so there was an alert that went out uh, a month or two ago mm. and there was some uh, some cocaine that had either been tainted or missold that had a bit of fentanyl in it and it put um put quite a few people in hospital if I remember. 17 I think yeah which is like that's unheard of right like you know at least on our end of the of the world it, to have an event like that where it's it's just such a huge spike in numbers that was pretty scary but it goes to show like that alert system, not only did it alert the people in New Zealand about what was going on, but we heard about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, New Zealand's not far away. So it's, you know, it's it's that sort of thing. You've got to sort of be 
clued into the data sources where you can get the info. And once that's there, you know, everyone does share. Um, and it is something, you know, you've got to keep an eye on, I think, especially in regards to fentanyl. It's, you know, I don't know how frequently it's happening here, but certainly not as bad as, as America and South America. But we've got to keep our eyes on it. Um, mm-hmm. Sincerely hope it doesn't sort of crop up here, but that's what this drug alert system can really combat quite well is, you know, I think everyone... If you got that message in New Zealand and you'd grabbed a bag of Coke that weekend, you might have gone, uh, I'm either not going to take this or I'm going to get it checked. Um, and that's the great part about the alert and also the systems that you have to test fentanyl. There is stuff that you can get that you can test it yourself. You don't need a fancy machine. Um, yeah. The fi- Does Karma have the fentanyl testing strips? Yeah, we and, do. Totally. Yeah. I have them. Yeah, we have heaps. If you're, if you're looking for stuff, you can drop by Karma and Belcona. Um Directions Health also has it, and at the drug checking site, we've also got them. Um, I think I don't know if we can give them out, but we can definitely do the testing. Um, yeah. So you can drop by, and we can actually. I think that's probably a really good thing to note as well. Is they're not so easy to use. I wish they were a little bit easier. But if you're shown by the chemist how to use it, that's really all you need. Like you'd be able to pick it up afterwards. Um, we've all got used to the COVID tests now. <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, it's the same thing. It's got the, the yeah. two lines, the C and the T. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I, you know, I hope, I hope we don't have to upscale our, our fentanyl sort of stuff. But, you know, it's, it's always it's, – it's there and waiting, I think. We're not unprepared, which is mm-hmm. nice. Awesome. We'll, we'll get to a few more of the questions. If you are listening live or watching live, there's still time, but we're going to get through the ones we've got. Um, uh, let's go with um, if if the sample are what you thought they were, do you get them back? I'll let you that answer this one. So you only need to provide a very small amount um, of of the drug. Like it's it's like way way less than what you'd put on a bump spoon. I guess depending on the size of your bump spoon. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's. Uh, just like a pinky toenail or less than that. Um, and so no, but you get, like if you were bringing in a, a gram, a baggie, um, and you only took out the tiniest amount, that's tested, but you get to choose depending on the results whether you want to discard whatever else you've got on you. Yeah, I think it's from memory the posters that we have up inside the thing say between one to two milligrams, um, but it does depend on the substance. Um you know, some of the guides we've been saying is just like, you know, if it's the very sort of end of the bag, there's almost nothing left in it at all, that sort of is enough. Um, and no, you wouldn't get that back. Um, but, you know, we, we're taking the smallest amount possible to run the tests. Um, and like, yeah, one to two milligrams will get us through FTIR and UPLC. Um, it might not be enough to do any further testing, but that sort of will get it through that suite. Um, so, yeah. And the another question, kind of the opposite of that, if if you do decide to discard the drugs, what do you do with them, and what do you what does the service do with them? So they're discarded, um, so they're sort of kept in a secure place, and then they're uh, handed over to, I believe, Akgal. Is that right? Well, I think it dep- like I mean, it might just go in a biohazard bin and get destroyed. Yeah. Um, or like you know maybe samples get yeah every sample goes to atgal for mm. the records but um yeah like it, are we talking about like discarding like a whole sort of baggie 
Um, I, it's hard to read from the question, but I'm assuming that they've decided, no, this is toxic, I don't want to take it, what happens to it? Yeah, it just yeah. gets destroyed. Yeah. I think that's the simplest way to sort of yeah. say it. If it's Look, there's, there's times that we might look for a, a further investigation where it'll go through to like a third round of testing called uh, GCMS, but, you know, that's not part of this suite. Um, so, yeah, it, it's probably just best to say it gets destroyed. Um, and, you know, there's you know, nothing kept in the lab for longer than service essentially, so it all gets destroyed quite promptly. Um, and, you know, if that's people want to drop the stuff they're not keen on, it's a good place to do it. Um, you know, if you'd, you know, you could feasibly even use a service just to be like, I don't want this. Mm-hmm. Um, you mm-hmm. know, we're more than happy to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a secure way to get rid of them. Um, mm-hmm. And you're not going to... You know, that's the thing. It's we're, it's we're really stressing that it's like it's mm-hmm. a friendly, welcoming place. You don't have to come in and get your stuff tested. You could just come in and chat to us. Um, and yeah, just destru- destruction is something that we can do for you. Another one. We probably can't um, do this right now. But can can we see examples of some results? What what would someone see if they were to go in and get it? Like what would the equipment actually show them? Yeah, w- what results does it give? And is it a piece of paper? Does it? Do you take home a printout, or what? What do you get? You're looking mostly at laptop screens. Mm. Yeah, and like for for I think at least for FTIR, we're looking at like a a graph essentially. It will have peaks and and dips in it. Um, and I think the simplest way to explain it is, and how the chemical analysts usually explain it is that we're looking at a fingerprint. Um, so it's shaking some molecules around and it's going to create a, a graph on the spectrum. And then they're sort of looking to match that uh, result to a library, um, which is pretty extensive from what I understand. Um, and it's collated from different sources all around the world. Um, and we're a lot of the time we're not... Uh, you know, you don't need to be looking at these things. People love to look at them because they're interesting. Um, Very cool. But, you know, the, the analysts will go through it all with you um, and they're the ones that are trained to review these graphs and, and sort of look at the machinery and understand what's happening. So yourself, you're probably going to see some stuff on the screen, but it may not make sense um, or, or mean much to you, but the analysts will tell you quite specifically what they know and they see. Um and that'll differ across the two machines. They'll give you different readouts. And um, from that point, you know, we don't uh, hand out anything to you that's like a printout. Um, it's more like a conversation, honestly. Um, or at least sort of that's what I've seen so far. Awesome, awesome. Uh, that's pretty much all the, the pill testing questions. There are a few other questions which I'll just throw at you, but unrelated. The worst trouble you got into as a kid? <laughs> <laughs> Define trouble. <laughs> I, I took out my my car before I had my uh, learner's plates. So like snuck out, took the car that would – my parents had got me a Volvo um, and they were like, this is what you will learn on. And I was like, cool. But I was taking it out all the time. Um, and I remember a time I took it out to pick up a mate from Civic. I was too young to go out. And my dad called me. It was like three in the morning. I was like, that can't be good. <laughs> That's the worst thing I've done and got in trouble for. It was a very long drive home. <laughs> so I was very well behaved. Uh, and when I went to a festival called Alpine Unity in 
um, Canterbury. Um, I, my friends were all wanting to take uh, ecstasy and I was like, oh no, I don't want to do anything illegal. And I don't know if you're familiar, but the New Zealand, um, New Zealand has an interesting relationship with novel psychoactive substances where you could actually get a number of drugs, including things which technically are not novel psychoactive substances like salvia or Mexican tripping weed. Um, and uh, I went to parties where like different types of um, novel amphetamine type substances were handed out like you would get um, promo people handing out Red Bull. Um, <laughs> and so my friends all took like their illegal ecstasy from New Zealand, which was probably just sugar anyway, um, like because there have been lulls in the drug market. And I took this thing that was legal called Wormies um, and it actually contained um, ketamine and PCP or something like this. And I was awake all night and um, yeah, like learnt... Um, um, yeah, I, I did not learn before I gunned. So, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. And uh, finally, when was the last time you cried? <laughs> maybe maybe at work, maybe maybe on a trip, who knows? I'll be good. Wait, I need to count this down in minutes. <laughs> I, I'm, like a, I'm like a cats and dogs on the internet, like shed a tear kind of person on a daily basis, like happy tears most of the time, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think it was last time I tripped actually. So there you go. Um, got very emotional about something I saw in my brain. So yeah, I, I'm not a frequent crier. I, they're cute cats and dogs, but they don't, <laughs> might force my partners to tears, but not me. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's all the, uh, all the questions we've got from the watchers, listeners. Um, I guess oh, I would. Would be interested in one more question from me, Steph, that I did ask um, uh, Mitch in our documentary that all this talk about pill testing often gets asked, is it a good thing to be making drugs safer for people to take? Hmm. I mean, it really depends on, on like your philosophical sort of angle. Like, I think it's good to be prioritising health. Um, I don't think you are actually promoting drug use by, like, um, implementing harm reduction measures because I don't think people could get any more on it if they tried. <laughs> like, drug use is really prevalent um, and unfortunately so is drug-related harm harm reduction just re reduces the harm. So, like, the opposite to harm reduction is harm maximisation, and I'm not down for that. So, mm. yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much both for taking some time to come and uh, chat to us in the flats. Um, I've linked in the uh, description there for how to find more information about the pill testing and stuff. But, um, yeah, we'll let you guys go, and uh, thank you for popping in and joining the flats. Thanks, brother. Thank you.